you know, my hope is that there's a big innovation in, in new events and new communities and new ways for people to get together in person. So I've already seen this with like the blockchain space, but now you've got Airbnb. So it's like, oh, you could just rent a whole bunch of hacker houses on some like remote island. People go fly out there. Or So like a lot of this, this community innovation and the events innovation has come along a long way. Like these kind of boring and stale marketing driven trade shows are a thing of the past. Welcome to the DevRelX podcast, the podcast brought to you from the DevRelX community and slash data. This podcast is devoted to developer marketing, relations, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Yorgakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, we welcome a guest from the developer marketing world to talk about best practices, lessons learned, how-tos, data, and share insights and experiences to help you boost your DevRel game and win developers' hearts. You can find more people like you and resources, developer ecosystem data, news, jobs, and a bi-weekly digest at devrelx.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the DevRelX podcast. Today's guest is Rex and John, founder of The Rock Technologies. And Rex is also a co-author of our developer marketing and relations book and wrote a chapter called How Can I Connect with Developers If I Can't Meet Them, which I strongly encourage you to read. And you can find the book as always on devrelx.com slash book. But today we'll be focusing on the future and the future looks like it's Web3. But before that, let's introduce you to Rex. Rex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. So let's get to know you a bit. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I think the closest I ever came was I think I wanted to be a writer. Okay, a writer. That's definitely cool. So uh, want to walk us through your journey, like how uh, a kid wants to be a writer, you know, through your roles, you end up in Web3 Technologies. Originally, I got a degree in marketing because I was very interested in psychology and communications. And, you know, marketing seemed to have this combination of connecting things together and, and strategy. So I studied marketing. And then after a few years of doing that, I was, I was working at a startup doing microtransactions and running an online community with 30,000 gamers. And, and then that company went out of business. And then every software developer had a job in a week. And this isn't the bottom of like the, the Great Recession. And, and when I saw that, I'm like, okay, maybe I should learn to program too, because apparently that's very valuable. So I, I basically quit my marketing career and spent a year in a coffee shop, just like learning to program with books and like the internet. And uh, both my brothers are software engineers. So they kind of told me like what to look at and what to study. And ultimately, I, I kind of bootstrapped a consulting business doing enterprise B2B software development, like full stack, iOS, Android, Ruby on Rails, Node.js, and all that. And, and, and I got to work on some very large apps that were used by many millions of people, some big brands. And ultimately, I, I got recruited into technical evangelism at Intel because I'd, I'd been writing all these articles about programming Android and Ruby on Rails and full stack software development. And then that got me um, noticed by the Intel recruiters. So from there, I, I, I was doing global IoT ecosystem development the last decade or so for Intel. I worked at Intel's new technology group through the introduction of all their embedded compute modules and, and uh, deep learning AI ASICs like Mobidius and the go-to-markets for that kind of stuff. And then ultimately, I, I, I did a stand at ARM and NVIDIA. And I recently just resigned from NVIDIA where I was working on the Jetson software ecosystem because I, I'm so interested in Web3 that I decided to make the leap and, and do Web3 full-time. 
Okay, that's great and sounds very exciting. Also, I have to say marketing and you know software development is a killer combination. So great for you. I really I was really looking forward to this episode because I really wanted to address Web3 in this podcast and I'm glad we we managed to do that. But before that, let's talk data. Can you please pick a graph from devrelex.com slash trends and tell us what stands out to you and why? My favorite data graphs or all the graphs about a software growth and community growth in Africa. Like I have a colleague, Kathleen Cowett, and she's been uh, talking about this for years. And if you just look at, you know, Google developer groups, like in, in like events they've done in Lagos, they, they just get thousands and thousands of really excited people in the door to, to participate in those events. So I really do believe that we're just going to see this huge growth in the Africa ecosystem. I think it's going to be very Web3 centric. And I think the next, the next few years are going to be all about Africa. And, and it just everything is in Africa's favor from the demographics, the technology trends, the investments. So that's, those are the charts I like to look at. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I didn't see those on your, on your site, but maybe you should put some. Okay, I'm not 100% sure that they're there. But what we do is that we have the Slash Data dashboards, which are interactive, and then you can use filters. One of them is, and it's free to access for everyone. You don't need a subscription for that. It's the global developer population one. So you can have the filters there and see how many developers there are in specific regions. And I guess that includes Africa. And I'm very happy you, you mentioned it because it looks like all these inclusivity efforts are starting to pay off. Absolutely. Okay, now let's, let's dive deeper into our topic for today. First things first, what is Web3? There's a lot of people who have recorded very long and detailed videos on this topic. So I'm not going to like go into the full detail of it. I think the, the main shift is like what's different between Web 2 and Web 3. And I like the core thing is obviously there's a blockchain involved, but uh, the big shift is around like the ownership and the transparency and visibility of the data and the assets. So we're going from a world where you know, you're kind of brokering your identity through these third parties like Twitter, Facebook, and Google, and so on. And and you're, and the things that you own are, are on behalf of other platforms such as iOS or Android. So you don't really own this stuff. Whereas in Web3, you're going to have your own wallet. And if you buy something, you know, like you could buy a, an NFT of a house or you could buy like, you know, some NFT that mirrors some real world asset. That's going to live in your wallet and that's going to be yours and, and that's going to, and your identity, it all belongs to you and you have total control over it. Nobody can take it away. So I think that's a big shift and uh, it's, it's, it's subtle. Uh, the ramifications of that are surprisingly complicated. Like if you just, if you just look at that, like it, it's hard to see what the big deal is, but then it's, it's downstream. It's like the second and third and fourth order effects are very profound. So I think that's the, that's. Uh, a big part of the shift that's happening. Yeah, sounds like power to the people. But what does this mean for developer platforms and technologies? So developer relations was always, and it, like community is always important. And I think the first developer evangelist like job title was at Apple. And, and then like Microsoft picked it up after that. So it's got this history. And like, I would say during the last 20, you've seen it continue to rise in importance. So you have companies like Twilio and Stripe where they've put developer relations at the center of what they do. Like Twilio would go so far as they'd buy up these billboards and park benches in San Francisco. And their message is really simple. It said, ask your developers. 
And uh, the reason the reason for that is because developers are the, the decision makers in many cases. Like the management might say, well, we, we want this to have an SMS function or I want to have payments integrated into my app. And then they just tell the developer, can you go figure that out? Like, how, how, how do you want to do that? So the developer would go and like look at a bunch of solutions and then come back and be like, well, I'm going to use Twilio. And, and management would be like, well, here's a credit card. Go have fun. So that, that means the developer is very powerful as an influencer and a decision maker within all the, these companies, all these platform companies. And those companies that adopted this developer experience-based approach, this developer-centric approach have done very well. Like Stripe has done very well. Twilio has done very well. So that was the last, you know, I guess you could call that the web two iteration of payments. And communications already learned this developer-centric approach. In the web three world, it's like, uh, it's almost in, it's gone into overdrive where now there's just, I can only describe it, like not to use military terminology, it just feels like there's an all-out war for developer attention. Like all these layer one blockchains, like, you know, Near, Avalanche, Solana, Ethereum, Binance, like they're just opening these hundred million plus dollar funds and they're throwing money at developers to try and attract them to their particular solution, their, their, their economy. These companies are introducing their own economic backbones. And in the same way that you want to attract developers to your app store, in the case of iOS and Android, if you've got angry birds in your app store and the other person doesn't have it, you've got a big advantage. So if you've got some differentiated application, you know, like maybe Roblox or some really cool game picks your blockchain and, and, and you know, uh, nobody else has that game, then that's a big deal. You're going to get new users and you're going to get more activity on your blockchain and uh, so this this competition for developer attention is more intense than ever. And another thing is community has become more and more powerful. We're going from a world where, you know, community existence of forum or exists on Twitter or exists somewhere else or Telegram or somewhere. And now the communities are getting like economic power and they're beginning to organize and start to look like, like I don't, almost decentralized trade unions, like not quite. But when you add the token elements and, and membership, like people could buy an NFT and use that to gain access to some exclusive club, you start to, to see this world where like the concept of a startup and a community and a, and a trade union start to merge together. And this makes developers very powerful because developers are the, the scarce resource, like people with the, the skill combinations to build these applications that build out these new economies. And uh, to take that a step further, like I'm seeing venture capital firms beginning to build out their own developer relations functions. So that's when things like I've had multiple conversations with venture capital firms that are, are building, are they hiring developer relations or they're building developer ecosystems. And the reason for that is they're kind of being forced or they're, or they're wanting to go deeper into the, into the decision-making process. Like they want to encounter the developer much earlier because the competition for developer attention is, is, is more heated than ever. So put all that together and Web3 is a great time for developer to be a developer and to be in developer relations. Yeah, we can see uh, developer relations, you know, being on the rise and, you know, companies who do not traditionally have a developer focusing uh, department are starting now to build one. So it makes total sense that, you know, where the future is heading through blockchain and Web3, we definitely need developer relations. Just yeah. to add, I want, I want to add one more comment. Like, of course. So in looking at the last 20 years, it's been all about products. It's like you've just been hearing about product managers, product manager, product manager, product manager. And like, I think 
like Google catalyzed this with their associate product manager training program. It's like, if you went through that, it was set up by Marissa Mayer before she left to go run Yahoo. If you went through that program, like every venture capitalist want to line up to give you money. My theory is that the product era should be coming to, you know, I think the product era is, I don't know if it's ending or it, 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 maybe it's got like a, a bookmark to it. I think it should, I think we should be entering a developer relations era. Like if developers are that important, then the role of the product manager will be important. And I think the role of developer relations should be far more important than, than it has been even historically. So that's, that's my comment on that, just to plug the field of developer relations itself. So developer relations professionals, you know, are, I'm sure they're super excited to hear you say that and uh, should be looking forward to it. You kind of mentioned it already, but can you dive in a bit deeper, you know, on how will Web3 affect developer communities? I think that the most interesting experience from the last six months have been watching the setting up of the developer DAO. And the way they launched it is first you had to, they listed all, a limited run of NFTs and you had to go buy an NFT, you know, and then each of the NFTs is configured as like a unique developer. It had like traits of like, oh, it's a DOS, Haskell, Fang developer. And then once that's transferred into your wallet, now you're eligible to join the developer DAO Discord. When you go to join the Discord, it looks in your wallet and it sees you've got this developer avatar and then that gains you access. So now you're like able to join and then joining these town hall calls, like listening to how they organize and set this up, it's just like its own little town where, where everybody, you know, like breaks into different groups, like based on their competency. There's a lot of discussion about how you measure who does what and how do you, how do you break down like the, the budget and funding. And then there's people doing sales and marketing organizations. And it's just uh, this whole hive of global developers that are like uh, running itself. And it, that's, that seems to be fundamentally different than, than developer communities of the, fat, uh, of the past. Like when you add in, they're going to be launching this code token. So when you add in these economic elements, it's, it suddenly starts to be this almost trade union-like uh, distributed entity, which is really fascinating to watch. Yeah, I never thought I never thought about it that way, but it makes perfect sense, you know, the analogy with the trade union. So it will definitely be much, much interesting to see how this will work out. So thank you for sharing this, this story. You you know, I mentioned in the beginning how you co-authored the chapter for our book, and you've already briefly touched upon it as a topic. But you know, given that uh, everyone's you know, chasing developers for their attention, how can an organization best approach or attract Web3 developers? People are tired of being inside for the last two years with COVID. So in a lot of the old events and communities just kind of like faded away. And like everybody that was sitting inside, like you couldn't travel. So a lot of like your network and relationships just sort of fizzled. Because it's like, well, I'm not interacting with these people every Maker Fair, or like I'm not seeing these people in the in the meetups anymore. So I think people are hungry to completely rebuild and hit the reset button on their personal relationships. I think people are really desperate. I don't know, desperate. Like they're really hungry for new experiences. And meanwhile, there's been all these technical innovations on the Web3 side. And so people have a lot to learn. They have to refresh their skills. They've lost touch with a lot of their relationships. And they also like are, are, are want to get out again. And so I think there's going to be, you know, my hope is that there's a big innovation in, in new events and new communities and new ways for people to get together in person. So I've already seen this with like the blockchain space. And now you've got Airbnb. 
So it's like, oh, you could just rent a whole bunch of hacker houses on some like remote island. People go fly out there. or So like a lot of this, this community innovation and events innovation has come along a long way. Like these kind of boring and stale marketing-driven trade shows are a thing of the past. And instead, they're being replaced by these hybrid experience-based events. So I think people should, in my opinion, the word experience-based marketing should, and, and experience-based events needs to get talked about more. People want experiences. So when you go on Airbnb, they even have a button. It's like, go have an experience. Like, not only are you going to travel somewhere, but you're going to like, oh, you're going to go on a, you know, a boat ride and the chef's going to hand make you something and then there's like some dance or something. So I think if, if I was going to, you know, and I am, <laughs> I, I can't disclose too much about what I'm what I'm going to be doing next because this, this I'll, I'll talk about it later in future podcasts. But I think if, if you're going to do events, like you should be focusing on this, that in-person experience and how to, how to innovate about how people can experience your developer events. So that's, that, that'll be my primary focus, I think. Yeah, well, over the past two years, I think we had to reinvent how we approach, you know, developers online, but nothing beats face-to-face, -face, right? Yeah. Especially yeah, if you're uh, sharing an, a unique experience, as you say. I, I think all the, I think, I think I have somewhat, uh, I don't know, unique view. I think we've automated too many things and it's, it's, it's hit rock bottom. So like, all right, you're, you're in a, you're in a, some company and all you see is people on zoom and that's the only way to interact with them. And then all the finance departments are like, well, we cut all the travel and the productivity didn't fall. So that's fine. So, so no more travel. And, and then I think, the side effect of of trying to remove all these human elements and automate things too much is like creative people and like the culture of these companies is going to suffer. And I think a big part of this, of this great resignation is the fact that corporate culture has kind of like become so stale and, and robotic and automated that people are just uh, dying to get out of it. And they want to resign and go work for startups and, and have experiences. And, and uh, the startups that I know that are, are run by really, uh, talented people that are doing really well, they, they make a big emphasis on offsites. They really take it seriously that you have these regular creative offsites where people get together. It's not team building. It's not, it's not artificial. It's like genuinely about the culture. So I think the entire industry, like if you want to do remote work, you better learn how to do offsites or people are just not going to feel attached to your company. They won't build the relationships. And uh, they'll go find a, a startup or something that lets them have those interesting experiences. Yes, and the numbers agree with you. You know, when, if you take the resignations and, you know, the job swaps that are currently happening are, you know, the numbers are skyrocketing. So, yeah, yeah it would make perfect sense. Which would you say are the key emerging trends in Web3 developers? I think the complexity of the tech stack was far higher than I'd realized because I, I, like, I looked at it over the last six months and then I watched some really great videos from these guys called Morales. And like the CEO of that company is great. Like he really breaks it down. And I didn't realize like until I watched some of his videos, like just how fragmented the experience was. And their goal is to try and like fix it and put all the pieces together. And uh, so if you, if you, I think uh, some of the best videos I've seen have, have just been the CEO of Morales, like talking about why he started the company and all the pieces. And, uh, and, and I think the developer relations has come along a long ways. Like you've got Nader Durbit from the graph. Like he put together these talks on like the new Web3 stack. So you can see how all the new pieces fit together. And then I think they've, they've done some really great content that show like end to end 
the, the full stack experience. So I think those materials have come along. So, so in terms of, I think the user experience is, is right now, it's not great. Like, like it's just explaining to somebody new, like how to get into the crypto ecosystem and put their money in and negotiate all the coins and all these terms like proof of stake, proof of work, stake, earn, and all the pitfalls and downfalls, like ways to lose your money and like not get it back. I think that user experience is just uh, highly, <laughs> highly early. Like it appeals to very, you know, people who have time to be in these communities 24 seven, but like the, the vast broad audience is there's a big divide in, in like capability about who's going to be able to pick this stuff, stuff up and use it. Other trends. I mean, I think we spent all last year kind of like talking about how Bitcoin like uses up too much energy and produces all this carbon. So I think that sort of damaged the reputation of cryptocurrencies in general. Yet many of the trends are towards proof of state, which is a much more energy efficient set of algorithms. So I'm, I'm really big into regenerative finance or refi. In fact, I'm, I've organized the first, at least in Seattle, to try and put all these people together who are uh, doing applied solutions for like carbon offsets, carbon tokens, NFTs that represent animals or tracks or rainforests or endangered animals. So I'm really excited about how the proof of stake cryptocurrencies can be used for conservation purposes. There's a little bit of drilling in the background. So if you hear that, then there's not much I can do about that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the experience. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I totally agree with what you say. And, you know, user experience should be in the books, you know, for, or at least should be a priority for, uh, you know, the next uh, years, let's say, to come. But how about those areas that are considered, you know, emerging, like silicon, edge computing, AI, IoT, you know, how will Web3 affect this? So I think the first innovation is the blockchain. And I think the blockchain came along and there was way too much hype about it. And I think it damaged the, the level of hype didn't meet the reality. And like, I think blockchain as a category had its reputation damaged because a lot of people made uh, claims about what the blockchain would and wouldn't do. And then after like 10 years of hearing about it, you're like, well, like I, I was told all this like magical stuff would happen. And don't get me wrong, it's an extremely important innovation. So the key innovation of the blockchain is it solves this double spending problem. It like enables you to store a common ledger and, and track some asset or some ownership in a way that is hard to, to engage in fraud. So it's like a trustworthy way of having a public record of something. So when you take that innovation forward into some of these new markets like edge computing, IoT, AI, carbon offsets, uh, you start to realize that, hey, there's actually some real value here, like carbon offsets, for example. I'm not the expert here, but there's a lot of different standards for carbon offsets, and there's a lot of uh, room for double spending and, and fraud and, and incorrect tracking of these carbon offsets. And, and once you learn this, you're like, oh, well, like the blockchain is, is not bad for this. Like you can create this federated system that unifies all this and make sure that uh, a carbon offset uh, credit is a is a carbon offset credit and it's not double spent and it actually exists and it represents something. So that's a huge innovation. That's very important and allows what's called price discovery to occur on these carbon offsets. So when you have a fragmented, untrustworthy market where people can't, where buyers and sellers can't uh, agree on what the price is because they have uncertainties about how real the thing they're trading is, uh, it can't be traded and it can't be valued properly. And I think 
when when Aklima and Toucan Protocol and some of these other guys came along and started looking at the carbon market, carbon offset market, it, it's helped price discovery to occur. So on the IT edge computing and AI side, this is a big topic. Like price discovery is not allowed or it's not able to happen on many pieces of silicon and many computer-related assets because these assets are not exposed on an open marketplace that's trustworthy and transparent and verifiable. And my opinion is that uh, price discovery on these assets is coming. So one of the biggest uh, gaps has been, uh, there's been shortages of silicon. Like people can't get enough silicon. And and meanwhile, if you look at some of the, the statistics about the underutilization of, of data centers or the inefficiency of data centers to use their capacity, you start to wonder like in some cases, 30 to 90% of a data center might not be getting used. And meanwhile, people can't produce enough cars because they don't have enough microprocessors. So the, the leap I'm making is, and, and like there's a lot of projects doing this is, well, why don't you just list everything so it could be bought and sold with, with tokens? And then if you do that, then you can, you can create this you know, decentralized web service type of, 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 of offering where price discovery on energy, connectivity, compute, storage, and GPU, CPU time. And when that happens, I think we're going to see a next phase of, of the internet, which will be quite interesting to watch. Yeah, it will definitely be quite interesting. And I'm really curious, you know, to, to see how this will work out. Now, if uh, Web3 is successful, what would the world look like in, let's say, three years? In three years, uh, let's see, it's 2022 now. Um, so the, the data now says that 19% of Americans, I don't know how accurate that is, have bought or hold some cryptocurrency. So that's one in five people, according to like some data. And some data have it more than that. I'm not sure if I believe it. Say, so I'm like, maybe it's less, who knows? But you're starting to see presidential candidates like actively playing around with this, like Melania Trump releasing an NFT. You know, like who, who wants that? Probably no one. But then Andrew Yang comes along and he, he launches NFTs in a DAO, like the Lobby 3 DAO. And he starts taking contributions in cryptocurrencies. So Andrew is a, is like an early innovator. You know, he comes into a space and he introduces some topic like universal basic income. And he's got a really good sense for like what the future is going to be. And he likes to be an early thought leader. So you're seeing crypto packs beginning to form. You're seeing billions of dollars heading this way. And then you see weird stuff like, like uh, Tucker Carlson has Michael Saylor on for like an hour interview. And you look at that and you're like, really? Like Michael Saylor on national television for an hour? Like, why? And the answer is that probably there's a lot of money <laughs> changing hands right now. And there's, there's political, yeah, it's like, it's like, I don't think that's a free thing. I think somebody probably got some Bitcoins. So I think in three years, cryptocurrency is going to continue to rise and become an extremely political issue. And I, I think that all the tooling and the foundations being laid now for DAO tooling and community tooling and local political tooling is, is, is just in its early phases. It's in a build phase. But I think in three years, that stuff is going to be like center stage. And, you know, or, you know, who knows, like maybe 20%, like I'm, I'm just trying to guess right now, like maybe 20% of, 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 of the, the next round of political fundraising and presidential candidacy comes from the blockchain in some form or another. Maybe it's less, maybe it's more. So I think in three years, you're going to see cryptocurrency become just highly political. And I think you're going to see it, it having a real impact on, on the physical world in terms of politics and democracy. 
And I, I could go further down this. There's better people who've thought more about this than me. There's a book coming out called The Network State. And I'm not going to mangle the guy's name, but I'm really excited about that aspect of, of, of where cryptocurrencies and community and democracy and governance are going to hit. Great. Uh, you know, these are all very insightful. And, you know, you can see that there are, you know, several uh, data points, let's say, that point uh, towards that, you know, Web3 will be the future. But I just want us to, you know, move a bit away from politics and maybe focus on, you know, from the devil perspective, since this is the, what this podcast wants to do. So, you know, let's say that Web3 is successful. So, and we've already talked about how, you know, many people maybe are looking for a new role or a new, you know, opportunity, something to excite them more. So if someone wants to be a developer uh, relations, developer advocate, or, you know, in developer marketing in Web3, what can they do now to prepare? There's almost, you know, there's so many good materials being produced and like, like, I think you should just start writing and, and recording and, and broadcasting your own journey as you go and putting it on Twitter. And like, this is all very, you know, like developers like stuff that they can use. Like the, the people that uh, get the most attention in this space are people that are like, I wrote some library to accelerate some workflow and I made that available on open source. Like that's, that's what develop, other developers want to see. And it's been a little while since I programmed myself, but the thing that got me hired in, in technical evangelism was I just made a habit. Like I was a software developer. Anytime I learned something, I just wrote a little blog post about it and, and including content production in your workflow. So it's like, you know, what is your workflow? Like, what are you doing right now? Like, do you program? Like, do you, do you write? Do you make content? And like, or as you learn, including content production as, as something, it doesn't have to be like, super, it doesn't have to be 10 pages. You don't have to write books, but just like put out a little something every time you learn something and, and like make it valuable and, and like something other people can, can use. And, and if you keep doing that, you'll get discovered pretty quick. Okay. That's awesome. That's great. And yeah, it's actually what developer, people in developer relations do, uh, even right now, uh, just a different technology in the focus. Rex, it's been uh, great talking to you today. You know, we're talking about the future and some of the topics are very new to a lot of people, I'm sure. But if someone wants to hear more from you, how can they reach you? Uh, I'm just on Twitter at Rex St. John. And, you know, I don't, there's some announcements coming where I'll, I'll probably be talking about Web3 a lot more directly and a lot more hands-on way and like Web3 development. But I, I can't, I can't disclose it right now, but in three weeks it'll be public. So just follow me there and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, great. Don't tease us anymore, please. <laughs> let's, let's wait and see. And what are you watching or uh, reading right now that got you excited? What am I watching or reading right now? Oh, man. Like, not much. Because I, I just had, you know, my, my third child. So I have not had much time to read, to be honest. Okay, well, that's great for you. And it's been great having you on the show, Rex. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the DevRelX podcast, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, the latest news, and join our community at devrelex.com. And you can subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>